Welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm so excited to have my beautiful guest, Christian De La Huerta. Christian is an award-winning author, speaker, and transformational life coach, and he has a new book out that I really enjoyed reading called Awakening the Soul of Power. And this book focuses on authentic self-expression and personal empowerment. And uh, it'll be it'll be such a joy to dive deeper into into that book and into his story and and all of the wisdom that he has to share. So welcome, Christian. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Kara. It's a pleasure to be here with what you. What a blessing. I'd like to just start with your backstory because you you have a really interesting transformational story where you began as a really shy and intimidated child and now you're an international speaker. I didn't mention, you know, previously you but you have this beautiful TED Talk that's out there and um and you're doing very, you know, you've really put yourself out there and you're embodying so much soulful power. Um, and so that's quite a transformation. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, because in, in some ways I'm an unlikely person to be writing about personal empowerment. I was, like you said, I was really painfully, painfully shy as a teenager. I was okay one-on-one, but if you added a third human, like clammed up and, I think part of it came because I was raised in in Cuba for my first 10 years of life in a communist country. And and my parents were actually involved in counter-revolutionary activities. So they actually worked with um, a group of people that were in touch with the CIA here in the States, conspiring against the Castro regime. And because of that, like most of their friends in their pod were either spent 20 years in jail or were shot. And so there was this implicit, like we didn't know at the time, you know, the kids didn't know what was going on, but, but there was this implicit message to kind of not let yourself be seen too much. And so I think as a result of that, and maybe there were other issues, I became introverted <clears throat> to the degree that you know, I, was, I was a good student. That was one of the gifts and the blessings of, of having been raised in, in Cuba. We had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. So we grew up reading. And we grew up uh, inventing our own games and pastimes. And as a result of of that relationship with words and with books, I became a really good student. And so when we came over to the States, um, you know, not speaking a word of English, which was not fun. um, But in my in high school, I had all A's. I had pretty much a 4.0 except for one B in my entire high school career. And looking back on it, it's like, of course, I didn't set out to do this consciously, intentionally. But looking back on it, I know that subconsciously, I was sabotaging my GPA, because there is no way that I could have possibly stood stood up in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people to deliver the valedictorian speech. So, you know, and I find that kind of sad and kind of, you know, tragic. Um, and, and yet it, it empowers my message because everything that I write about, everything that I write about in terms of 
personal transformation and overcoming um, our own self-imposed obstacles, the fears um, that we have allowed to hold us back from, from being all of who we are, from stepping into our power. It's like, I know that all that stuff can be healed and, and can be overcome. And like you say today, I speak all over the world. I've spoken in dozens of universities on the TEDx stage. And, and the other thing, Kara, is like my adolescence was one long depression, like, like with suicidal really? fantasies. It's like, I know self-doubt. I know, in fact, self-hatred. Um, and these days, no matter the, the, the details of my life, like a relationship works out or it doesn't, um, a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes, no matter the circumstances, I never question my sense of self-worth. Like that is established. And so I know that that's possible for, for all of us. So was there, was there a, a trigger point or a catalyst that helped to propel you into the wisdom that you are embodying now and into the practices and into it as you unfolded into this greater, you know, version of, of yourself with, with your personal power um, or did it did it sort of gradually come over time? I'm curious about how it developed. Yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> I mean, if, if I look back at my 20s, um, I had a pretty comfortable life. I had a cushy job. I was making good money. And by the way, I apologize for my voice. I was just um, overcoming some cold symptoms yeah. uh, from yesterday. No problem. And, um, you know, I had a very enviable life. I had a condo on the water, uh, sports car, the Armani suits and all that stuff. And, and as I approached my, you know, the dreaded 3-0, I started to question, like, you know, there has to be more to life than this. And it seemed to be like the more I had and the more that I was sought after socially and professionally, like the more, it felt like like an expanding hole in my gut. Um, and so I started a, a process of soul searching. Um, and as a result of which, I got really clear um, about what I wanted from life. Uh, and it was, you know, I went through a, kind of a harrowing process. I spent a whole weekend. I didn't watch TV. I didn't listen to music. I didn't allow any distractions. I just lived in the question, what do I want from life? And um, getting so clear. Um, you know, then I went through a whole process of eliminating, like I listed out like a hundred things. I didn't evaluate whether there could, there could be altruistic things or they could be completely petty things. I just made a list. And then I started eliminating and got it down to like three things. And I think getting so clear, getting so um, clear about what, it, what, was, off, what was like authentically um, my purpose and, and what I wanted from life proved to be catalytic. And when, within a few months of that, I was led to breath work. And I had been on a track to get a PhD in psychology. My dad was a psychiatrist. So I come out of that psychotherapy tradition. And when I discovered breath work as a healing, breathing practice, changed my life. Like in one session, like my very first session, I knew that I had to do it again. And I knew that I had to make it available to others. And I jumped tracks and never went for that PhD mm. because it works so fast and heals so profoundly 
at so many levels. Wow, that is amazing. And and that's the basis of the TED Talk. And I'd like to put a link in the show notes, if that's okay with you, because it's it's beautiful. And you, you talk a lot about the the biological, you know, the, the biochemistry with the breath and the chemical responses. And, um, but can you, can you briefly, um, expand a little bit upon that here in why the breath is so important? Sure. And, and, you know, breathwork is a, is a broad kind of an umbrella term. There are a lot of breathing techniques, breathing practices, um, the breath work that I'm talking about is a longer practice. You breathe in a certain way for about an hour, an hour and a half, in, in a circular, connected way. And amazing things happen. Like, to my logical, more scientific, more skeptical mind, it's still, when I hear these words coming out of my mouth, like even 30 years later, it's still hard to believe. Like, so many things can happen just from breathing. Um, and, and there's so many stories that I can tell you in, in terms of um, emotional, psychological, and even physical healing. And, you know, but the thing is, I just, I can't argue with the results. It works. And I don't know anything more effective in terms of healing past trauma. Um, work with so many people who have experienced PTSD and, and serious, you know, stuff. People who have had to deal with sexual abuse, with physical abuse who have, um, you know, experienced violent, like really violent stuff, and it gets healed. Um, And, you know, the science isn't there yet in terms of understanding how it works. Like there's so much research um, that has been done on meditation, which which I know is your your main uh, focus of what you teach, which is such an invaluable tool. And so there's a lot of research in terms of, the effects on the body, on health, um, on, you know, even productivity at work. Breathwork isn't quite there, there yet. And so the way that helps me understand how it works, um, it's more from a psycho-spiritual perspective. And one thing that, that, that helps me, like, get it, it's like if we think about the fact that in most spiritual traditions, the same word, one word can mean, can mean spirit or breath, depending on the context. And there's example after example of that, like from, you know, pneuma in, in ancient Greek. From that word, it meant, you know, from that word we get pneumonia. It meant lung, but it also meant soul. From the Latin spirare, we both get inspiration, respiration, and expiration. So, you know, the, the breath is... It's really all about the breath, right? The breath is our most loyal, most faithful companion on this journey of embodiment. Um, And and there's so many references, too, in the sacred text about, you know, God or spirit breathing life into us. It's it's what animates us. Um, And um, so, you know, it's from that perspective that I understand how what is so powerful about breath work and about, and about other healing, uh, breathing techniques. Right, yeah, that's beautiful. And in your TED Talk, you say, we we are being breathed. And that yeah. really gave me pause. It really caught my attention when you put it that way, when you flip it, rather than we are breathing or we breathe, 
we are being breathed. What is breathing us? You know, and 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 as you talk about the um, breath being the animating factor in in our embodiment, you know, it's it is really mm-hmm. profound. And there's another thing that you talk about in the TED Talk, which is that the depth of your breath or how how deeply you can breathe is a mirror of how you live. You know, it is that how much are you embodying? How much are you bringing into the body beyond, I love you you say, beyond the labyrinth of the thinking mind, which is another beautiful and so apt metaphor for how we do get lost in in thought. And we, we live, so many of us live in the thinking mind and we're not pulling all the way into the body and how important that is. And so. Yes. And, and it's, yeah, there's a definite relationship between how much breath we can take in and, and how much life we can take in, right? Breath is life. It it is what keeps us alive. Um, And so, so the good news of that is that if that we can learn how to deepen our breath, right? We can we can consciously teach ourselves how to deep, deepen our ability to breathe, um, which then translates in our ability to live more fully, to live more completely. And we just you know we just need to pay, if we pay attention, we notice how shallowly most of us breathe, and especially when emotions come up, whether it's an upset or fear. What's the first thing that happens, right? We stop breathing or we start breathing really shallow breaths. And there's some, so much to say about that too. But one of the things that happens is when we stop breathing, when those emotions come up, that's what anchors those emotions in our body. And, and you know, what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from quantum physics that it's true. It's all energy, in, including the body, including the emotions, so whenever we suppress our emotions, we don't allow ourselves to feel them fully because we've been so conditioned uh, to believe that they're bad, that they're weakness, when they're not weakness, they're not strength either, they're not good, they're not bad, they're just energies coursing through our bodies. And But what happens when we suppress them is they get lodged in the tissues of our body and they just don't go away just because we weren't able to deal with them or navigate them. Um, and so what happens is that after a lifetime of suppressing emotions, we're walking around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed, unhealed emotional crap. And then here we are trying to have a relationship in the present moment. And all of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of unhealed, the past trauma and repressed emotions. It's like, yikes. I don't know how any relationships can actually work. It doesn't surprise me that more than half of the marriages in the U.S. end up in divorce. What surprises me is that 100% don't Mm. because we haven't been taught how to hold them, how to approach them. And we haven't been taught how to clear ourselves of of these repressed emotions, which what happens is we end up projecting them, which end up dumping them on each other's laps. And it's not an effective strategy because those energies have to come out one way or the other. So what happens is we suppress, we suppress, we suppress. And then the next unfortunate one says something to us the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption. 
not warranted, right? To whatever that particular situation was. It's just because we've been suppressing for so long. That was like the last straw. We couldn't hold it back anymore. Um, and then we cause harm to our relationships. Or that energy has to come out one way or another. We suppress, we suppress, we suppress, and then it starts seeping out and showing up in physical symptoms. Cancer, heart attacks, ulcers. So we have to really get on top of this and learn how to give ourselves permission to feel whatever we're feeling and to learn how to communicate those emotions compassionately, courageously, and responsibly, owning that there are emotions and that nobody can make us feel anything. Right? It's our emotions that are being triggered. Right. Oh, so there's so much in what you just said. I mean, so you we could drill down into, you know, the ownership of the feelings. I mean, I actually, funnily enough, I was teaching a couple of classes yesterday, and this was my topic, the importance of allowing the feelings and emotions to move through us so that they don't become trapped and we don't deny it and think that they're bad, you know, and we and um, and the responsibility that we hold in saying that everything in the external is a mirror. It's here, it's a tool, and it's not, you know, not projecting that I feel this way because you blah, blah, blah. You know, it's that ownership of, you know, what's the conditioning there that, you know, where has that come from that, that yes. you're, you know, responding this way or, or telling this story or whatever it is. So, so many different things we could drill yeah. down in there. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And let's just give a short story to help people understand why there are emotions and nobody can help us trigger anything. So let's say that you and I have a weekly lunch with our mutual friend, Joe. I have lunch on Tuesdays. You have French with, with you have lunch with Joe on, on Wednesdays. Joe inevitably shows up 20 minutes late. So there I am on Tuesdays. It's like, I knew it. Joe is so selfish, so inconsiderate. He, he's self-absorbed. He, he absorbed. He only cares about his own time and, and so upset, indignant. And, and then Joe finally gets there. And because we hate confrontation, we stuff it. And then, you know, but again, that stuff just doesn't go away. So it starts seeping out, leaking out of the side of our mouth with sarcastic comments and barbed remarks. Whereas you on Wednesdays, it's like, yes, Joe's 20 minutes late. Great. Let me return that phone call. Let me glance through through the morning emails or let me just get online and check my social media. So why is it that Joe's lateness gets me so upset? And, you know, it's, it's not about Joe. And again, it doesn't excuse Joe's lateness. Right? It doesn't say that I have to be friends with him or have, have lunch with him. And, but it does say that if I want to be free, I have to look at myself, right? Because there's so many different possible reactions or responses to Joe's lateness. So why does it bug me so much? And if we start, we're willing to do that work and look at ourselves, we start realizing that it's not just about Joe. And it takes the work, right? It's like, it's asking ourselves, well, what am I feeling, right? When Joe shows up late, well, I feel... And, and, and when we zoom, zoom out and expand the, 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 the perspective, it's not just about Joe. It's just when anybody shows up late. And in fact, it's when anybody cuts me, cuts me off in traffic, when anybody cuts me off in conversation, it, it evokes the same kind of feelings. Right? So what am I feeling? 
right? As, as, as we dig in, it's like, what am I feeling? I'm feeling unseen, unvalued, unappreciated. I'm feeling not taken care of. I'm feeling ignored. Um, and if I get honest, if I'm feeling disrespected, right? Those feelings are way older than my lunches with, with, with Joe. And of course, this is just a hypothetical, hypothetical example, but if we're willing to do that work and to ask ourselves those questions, it's like, why do we do the things we do? Why do certain people trigger us or certain behaviors? Why do we get stuck in certain relationship patterns? Yes, it's hard work, it's heroic work, it takes effort, but it is so worthwhile because once we get to the core issues, then we can do something about it. We can do whatever we need to do to heal them. And then we're free. Like, not only does Joe's lateness no, no longer get us, but anybody else's lateness, right? We flatten that button. Right. Right. And this is, uh, this goes back to your book, Awakening the Soul of Power, um, because it focuses on heroism and again, stepping into one's personal power. But you know, you talk about in that example that this is heroic work. It's it's really being courageous and looking and being willing to really look at yourself. And and that can even extend to looking at your lineage. You know, is is yes. what I'm is my triggering of is is my being triggered by somebody's lateness? Is that even mine? Or has this been handed to me through my childhood? Is this conditioning? So much of it is conditioning, but it's hard and so worthwhile. But um, I mean, again, when I brought this subject to my classes yesterday, you know, it was people were really interested in it and you could tell that it was like, wait a minute, you know, I'm not wrong if I'm upset by that. You know, it's not me like they're rude or or whatever and it's like like you say it doesn't excuse the behavior and you have a choice about whether you continue engaging with them but but as we mature spiritually and as we keep strengthening our foundation brick by brick we do take more ownership and that requires really being being um, honest with ourselves about where we still have chinks in our armor, and 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 that's probably not the right way to say it because really we we want to dissolve that armor and just really shine who we are fully. Um, but it really, you know, to to really honestly look at ourselves and and um, and see where the work. Is still needs to be done where there are gaps and where we we can strengthen ourselves and and it's that it's heroic and it it allows us to embody more of our power and it liberates us as you talk about yes yes freedom is the reward right right and empowerment mm. right and you know reflecting in my own life as i was reading your book it it i, I was reflecting how it took a long time it took a lot of work for me to even recognize that i wasn't stepping into my power you know i've always more or less been kind of you know been an extrovert and you know i i'll i'm 
willing to step up. And I didn't really see myself as somebody who was continuously giving away my power. And I was handing it over all the time. And a lot of that was about this misperception about what it means to be kind, what it means to be polite, what it means to be humble, you know, all of these things where I was just handing, you know, oh, I don't know. I I don't, oh, I couldn't possibly know what to do or how to do it or, you know, always just handing. Um, So can you, can you talk about us, about that with us here, how we may not even recognize how we're doing this and how we're not stepping into our power, some of those ways we might be um, misperceiving that for something else. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Kara. That is such a good question. Because sometimes it's subtle. You know, it's, it's, and sometimes it's so conditioned that we don't even yes. notice it because we've been doing it for mm-hmm. so long. But if we start looking at, you know, all the many times that we say yes, when inside we really feel no. And and for all the reasons that we do that to maintain a semblance of peace in a relationship or if we go deeper, um, you know, because we fear that if we really said what we feel and what we believe that we might end up alone, that other people wouldn't like us or would reject us. If we really stepped into all of who we are, into all our power, then people wouldn't be able to to handle us. So we we limit ourselves. We stuff ourselves into smaller little packages um, and try not to rock the boat too much. Um, but it's not an effective strategy. And, and what I've realized, um, you know, for the last 10 years that I've been thinking about this issue and, uh, you know, practicing and putting some of the, the, the practices in retreat, testing out the concepts and retreats, that what I've realized is that most of us have a, an ambivalent, conflicted relationship with power. Like part of us wants it and part of us is afraid of it. And, and we fear that, what I was just saying, that the, the rejection part of it, we also fear that we might abuse it uh, and that we might cause harm if we really stepped into our power. And no wonder, all we got to do is turn on the news on any given day to witness at least one abuse of power. Then add to that, that we have been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. What they didn't tell us, though, about that quote is that Lord Acton was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power. So add to that mix what we were talking about earlier with the emotions, that we have labeled them weakness, that we hate conflict. We avoid confrontation. And so when you put all that into a mix, what happens is that we give away our power, like our innate, inherent power that nobody can give to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. And the tragic part is that we give it away for for sad reasons, for lame reasons, for an illusion of security, for a false sense of acceptance and for morsels, for crumbs of pseudo-love. And so what what this book talks about is how we step into power in a way that is a match 
for with who we are. That doesn't require that we abuse it. That doesn't require that, that we be corrupted. That doesn't doesn't require that we step on anybody, uh, push them down. That doesn't require power by force or fear or domination or control. But that there is a way that we can step into our power in a way that is congruent with who we are, and and that that is a match with the inherently good people that we are. And that would be so. so that's what the book soulful is soulful power. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You talk a lot about um, women in your book, and you do have you. You also do specifically talk about men and power because the the dynamics between the two sexes are are different. Just in, very broadly speaking, but have different um, maybe impediments when it comes to power. Um, can you talk about why, why the focus for women, why you felt so, so strongly that, that that should be yeah. addressed? Yeah, the book has a particular message, a specific message for the empowerment of women. Um, and it, and it stems from my belief, my conviction that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. And it's not to put women up on a pedestal. It's not to idealize women. Women are obviously able to, I mean, capable and abuse power just the same. Um, and it's not to give women more of, a, of crap that they have to clean up in this world. Um, it's because what you're saying is because the balance of power between the masculine and the feminine has been so off balance. It's been so off kilter for the last several thousand years. And, and so I believe that when women are in 50% of power in this world, um, we're going to have a very different relationship to, to war and poverty and hunger and, and social um, justice and the distribution of wealth, how we treat the environment to all of it. And again, it's not to idealize women. Um, it's because we've been running so off kilter. And, and so so that, and so when I think about strategically, what is one thing that we could focus on that's going to then impact everything else? That's what I land mm. on, the empowerment of women. And then the other side of that coin is, the, you know, the what about men, um, right? Because that that has been that hierarchical, patriarchal, patriarchal power over uh, relationship to power and to each other has been the source of the problem. It impacts not only the way that we relate to ourselves and to and to each other, but the way that we relate to the planet. Um, and and so inherent in that is is the you know that's the source of the problem. But the thing is that without minimizing the price that women have paid, right, in terms of the lack of justice. And in terms of the oppression, that is just no longer acceptable or sustainable. Um, men have also paid a price for for that in for that power over approach. And so, let's look at some numbers briefly. Fifty um, percent. Um, no, wait. What's seventy percent of 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 the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle aged white men which you could argue, you know, pretty clearly, it's, it's 
the group that still holds the majority of the power in this world. Women outlive men in the U.S. by five years, um, globally by seven years. So what's up with that? Why isn't the system working for men either? And to me, that connects back to, to this misunderstanding of what it means to be a man and this limited way that we have landed on of what, of what a man is and, and does and, and feels like. And so, and it connects back to what we're talking about with the emotions. We've landed on this twisted, limited way of what it means to be a man. And especially guys, we've been conditioned. Little boys don't cry because only little girls cry. And that's weakness, total misunderstanding. And a total misunderstanding of the feminine is weak. It's like, come on, you wanna talk power? Let's talk about the, the, the inherent power that lies in the female body, the power of creation. Like, that's power. Um, so because of these misunderstandings about and definitions of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman, um, men have, you know, we've taken on this way of being, which, which like the total denial of, of the human emotions. And so we feel like we walk, got to walk around like this, like uncaring, unfeeling robots. Um, and because of what we were talking about the emotions before, there's a price to pay for that. And part of it is not only in the, in the quality of our lives and the effect that has on, on our relationships. Like who wants to be in, in a relationship with an uncaring, unfeeling robot? Um, and so, but, but also the price that we were talking about in terms of physical symptoms. Right. And now we can extend that to longevity and, and the rate of suicide because of the self-made prison that we have, um, I mean, all of us have a self-made prison, but particularly men in, in this limited way of, of limited definition of what it means to be a man and what masculinity is. Yeah, thank you for that. That's really insightful. And and you talked about the masculine and the feminine, and it made me think about within every person, there is a divine masculine, there's a divine feminine expression within all of us. And we all seem to be humanity and this planet seems to be going through an accelerated evolution and it just seems to be on overdrive. And you can, I mean, I, I personally, just completely speaking for myself, witnessing the you know, the newer generations coming through, you know, who are coming into adulthood and how there is, there's just a change within this younger, these younger generations where it doesn't seem so clear cut so often, you know, you see individual people beautifully embodying masculine and feminine to to the extent that you know there there's really not a dominant um male or female expression there it's just this beautiful blended expression where they're balancing both and that i i feel i wonder if as we continue to evolve and and what it might look like in 50 years you know if we're all these containers for more balance, you know, within, within us and that we are, you know, that, that a lot of that stuff might die away just as we, as we, as a species 
continue to evolve. And um, because there is such value in in both, you know, in that strength and in that creativity and, and, you know, we could go on and on, but the blending of it, you just triggered something within me where it's like, gosh, you just see more and more with the younger ones that, that it's not, it's not such a strong opposition, you know, where you, you will see young men who, who are beautifully expressing much more feminism within them, holding that feminine light within them and masculine as well, and vice versa. Beautiful women who are coming in and they're they're balancing much more effectively or naturally or um I don't know. I don't know if you if you share that observation. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think you know the thing to remember is that we all get to express our gender identity in any way that we want to, that's that's what I think we have to be grateful to the transgender movement mm-hmm. that that is asking, is kind of forcing all of us to look at what is gender, right. the deeper question, and how much how much of it is just conditioned belief. Um, and so, it's not asking anybody not to be anything that they are. We all get to express it however we want to, um, and it's not to you know to knock on men. Mm-hmm at all right it's just saying it's like wait a minute let's ask the the question what does it mean to be a man in the 21st century and because some of the these limited ways um you know what what a term that is often used these days is toxic masculinity doesn't work those ways don't work for anybody including men and so that's part of what i did in the book is is update some of these traditional roles that men have played throughout history for the 21st century. So, so you know, part of the reason that so many men are struggling uh, today is because as women are getting, stepping into their power, so I think, I think now, you know, I think we're approaching 40%. The number's in the book, but I'm pretty sure it's approaching 40% of heterosexual households in the U.S. where women are out earning their men. They're, they're making more money than, than their spouses. Um, and more than half of college graduates are now women. So we're witnessing that shift right in front of our eyes. So what's happening, because so many of these traditional jobs that men have, have provided are also being replaced by outsourcing or by computers, by machines, a lot of men are like being thrust into it's like wait a minute who if am i'm I? not the provider yeah. who am i mm. so they're, they're being they're having an existential crisis and i get that my heart goes out to them but but the opportunity in that crisis is like wait a minute what does it mean to be a provider and what does it mean to be a man like are we, are we going to limit our definition of what it means to be a man to how much money you make to the size of your paycheck that like, come on yeah Really? That's how you define what a man is? That's a really limited view of what it is. And what if we redefined what a provider role is? What if we, there is so much more that we can provide. You know, what about providing a safe psychological and emotional space in our families where where everybody has the, the opportunity? Like we provide such a strong foundation, such a strong base. We're such a rock 
of, of in the family structure that we can support all of our family to, to really break free from all these definitions and limitations and, and fulfill our real potential. It's like, wow, that is priceless. To provide that is priceless. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Yeah, it sort of reminds me of how businesses are starting to have different bottom lines, you know, yeah. but within the family structure of, and within ourselves of how we change, how we perceive our own value, you know, particularly men. Um, yeah, so beautiful. Thank you. So tell us how people can get to know you better and um, some of your offerings. I know, as I mentioned, you've got your your beautiful book that has come out and you've talked about retreats and we've talked about your TED Talk. So what are some gateways into getting to know more about your work? Yeah, thank you for, for asking that, Kara. Yeah, I've been offering retreats and workshops for the last... 30 years, I, some of them are weekend long, some of them are week long, and I'll take people to, you know, I call them, it's what a, if a vacation and a retreat got married and had a child, <laughs> that's what these experiences are. So they go for a week to beautiful settings with a spiritual theme. So we go to like Machu Picchu and Peru or Southern France or Egypt or New Mexico or Hawaii. And so there's elements of vacation and we have amazing experiences and get to know these beautiful places. And we also go inside, we travel within and clear some of the stuff that we're talking about, right? Clear some of these obstacles to, to self-love and to personal empowerment and to really stepping into our purpose. I haven't scheduled live retreats yet, but, and I will as soon as it's safe to do so. Um, and so what I've also created over the last year is virtual programming. So I've, I've launched a year-long virtual coaching program. And the retreats are amazing because we're able to combine the breath work with the teachings. And, and, and again, I'll go back to doing this. What, what I'm loving about this year-long program is that I get to spread out the teachings over the course of a year and deliver them piecemeal, like just a bite-sized piece every week. But here's the key. Here's what's different. We deliver... It's, it's more interactive. It's more um, practical in the sense that every week there are assignments, there are practices that are designed to, to apply, to incorporate, to integrate those teachings to our lives. Because we don't need more content. We don't need more information. We got information overload. What we need is transformation. And, and that's what those teachings are designed to do, to to facilitate the transform the transformation in our lives and so the other thing that that i can do in a year-long program is put a level of support and accountability right so we have a, a family and i'm keeping them intimate you know 20 around 20 people uh, people who will share this life this year-long life-changing experience in a very supportive environment and and also putting in an element of accountability because it's so easy to, to get distracted by, by life's infinite distractions. And it's so easy to forget um, and to get sucked into the, you know, the day-to-day. And, and pretty soon, you know, if, if we don't have support system, if we don't have practices like meditation to keep us 
aware and present, it's easy to, to, to forget. And pretty soon those voices of fear and self-doubt will start creeping up again and pulling us down. And so that's what the, the accountability system is designed to do, is, is to keep us connected and to keep us doing what we said we would do. Um, and so in terms of finding out more about that, probably the best way is my website, soulfulpower.com, soulfulpower.com. And from there, they can access my, my social media. And for your audience, if they will uh, sign up to be on my email list, and we all know how easy it is to just click unsubscribe if it doesn't work for you. Um, but just by signing up to be on my email list now, they will get um, a sample chapter from the book about what it means to live heroically. Um, they'll get some, some of these power practices that I was just talking about. And they'll get a guided meditation about trust, um, which is so timely in, in these times of, of chaos and uncertainty. That's beautiful. Wonderful. Well, my heart is full. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and for all of the beautiful work that you're doing, helping people to embody more of their true selves, their authentic selves, becoming heroes, and all the work with the breath and with the divine feminine divine masculine it's just it's really really important work and uh you're you're just a great light thank you so much christian thank you Kara. thank you so much for having me on the show and and that we didn't get into it thank you for the work that you do about on mindfulness and meditation because i know it, it makes such a difference uh and it's it's life-changing um, and, and the fact that you come out of the, the corporate environment, the IT environment, and can weave in some of those practices into mindfulness is it's what we need. Right? We need to be able to bridge the, those worlds. And, and so thank you for doing oh, that. Thank you so much. So beautiful. Thank you. Oh, Christian is just amazing. So beautiful. Thank you so much, Christian. For coming on and thank you beautiful listeners thank you for tuning in thank you for sharing and for the work that you're doing within yourself everything that you're doing has such an impact not only on you but on your family on your friends on the collective on the planet Christian and I talked about how this planet and humanity is undergoing this evolution and all of the work that you're doing on yourself has such a massive impact. And so keep going and shine your beautiful light as well. And if there's somebody who you think this episode will resonate with, please do send it on. I appreciate any any rating, reviewing, any sharing, um, subscribing, all of that really helps with everything. So, so thank you so much. And I look forward to the next meditation conversation. <laughs>